but some of what I am going to share with you might sound a little new and revolutionary, but I think uh, it, is very, it will be very, very empowering. And so, yeah, thank you, Father, for the Word of God. Uh, thank you that we don't need a new gospel. Thank you that we do need fresh empowering of the Spirit. We need fresh understanding of how you accomplish your purposes in the world. Uh, once you get our attention, once you work deeply in our hearts as we listen and learn together in Christ's name. Amen. So the key verse for, uh, for what I want to share with you, uh, basically the sermon title is God's fullness, the fullness of God, the key to fulfilling God's mission. And the key verse that uh, is like burning in me and uh, keeps me absolutely so excited is this John 1.16, uh, where John writes, out of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And another translation says, from his fullness, we've all received one blessing after another, until the NIV guys got stuck. And I think they write on this one. They said, from his fullness... We've all received grace, replacing grace. And their problem with understanding, is it grace and grace, grace upon grace, blessing and more blessing? What, but this, their, their problem was, we are so prone to live on yesterday's grace. Grace upon grace. They needed to put a timeline in that to say, from His fullness... We have all received grace, which we're grateful for, that brought us to where we are. But it's grace that replaces the grace we got in the past or yesterday. Not a new gospel. It's still in play. It's still the foundation of our life. But we are designed to be the recipients from the fullness of God of grace upon grace upon grace every day of our lives. Can I have a year? And so I want to frame the talk by just telling you where we're going. I want to share the big idea around God's fullness leading to fulfillment. Then I want to help us deepen our understanding of what the fullness of God is really supposed to mean. And then thirdly, I want to present a stunning picture from the book of Ezekiel around the fullness of God flowing into the world in life-transforming ways. So, first part of the talk, the big idea. From His fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. Now, how many of you, at the beginning of this year, started to think about what you'd like to accomplish this year? Don't put your hands up. I, it's more like a rhetorical question. I'm going to answer it for you. We do that as human beings. We, we, we think this year we want to do this in our budget, and we want to plan for a good holiday, and we want to save for kids' school fees, and we, uh, you know, we, 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 we want to be more regular in church, and we want to steward our gifts so that we can stand before God one day, and He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the we, we, we plan... We even strategize, we even make commitments to see the purposes of God fulfilled in our lives. 
And I'm standing up here today to tell you it's not enough. The only thing that can sustain and produce a fulfilled life and purpose is a life that is plugged into the fullness of Yahweh. As this stirring is happening up in, in, in my life, I had a friend of mine that I've known for over 30 years, a man who was an incredibly wealthy uh, businessman. I think he owned over 20 different big fruit farms all over uh, the Western Cape and up in Namibia. And about a decade back, his life, his business, everything unraveled. If I were to ask that guy at this point, how are you doing in life? He would say, field of dreams, everything fulfilled, and then he lost everything. And he found out that God was all he needed when God was all he had. And he realized that his definition of a fulfilled life, from a business point of view, he's a Christ follower, by the way, it unraveled in like overnight. He lost absolutely everything. And I remember walking with him through some of those chapters and the lament and the grief and the sense of loss. I watched also the strain of what this did in his family. And it was profoundly difficult. And I've seen him every now and then for the last five years. And uh, he is like, a fox terrier after rats. He just wants time with me, not because he just wants to tell me what's happened in his life, not to get from me. He just wants to come and bless me to say so that stuff you told me back then, it's now starting to work in my I'm so excited. I can't tell you. Sat with him on two days ago, and uh, he just began to talk about new chapters. This guy is plugged in to a source of life that is totally other alternative. This is someone who has discovered the majesty and the fullness and the sufficiency of God in all of life. He's not anti-business. He's not living in a dichotomy. He's just plugging in what God's, what he's plugging in learning the lessons and realizing that you cannot have a fulfilled life this side of eternity if you're not plugged into God. And all our disappointments, all our past pains, you don't get it on a timeline of I'm just going to rest and retire and wait for things to get all perfect. You don't get it there. You get it in Yahweh. You get it in encounters with God and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I remember an old German evangelist who passed away a few years ago, Reinhard Bonker. He prayed this prayer as a young man, and I've prayed it every now and then. His prayer was simply this, Lord, make my life a riverbed for the Holy Spirit. So what we bring to the moment and what comes through us. You see, my friend Gerard needed to be emptied before he could find and discover the fullness of God, and that's so true with us, and there are multiple versions of, empty, of being emptied. Sometimes we just got to be em emptied of the drivenness of our own agendas. Now, the book of Acts captures uh, 
this principle of fullness leading to fulfillment. I want you to see it up on the screen. In those days when the disciples were increasing in number, the Grecian Jews among them began to grumble against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. This is not about food. This is about relational tensions. This is about fracture in the church, potentially. So the 12 apostles summoned all the disciples and said, it is unacceptable for us to neglect the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men confirmed to be whatever. It's confirmed to be. I think I left something out. We will appoint this responsibility to them and will... Did I tell you I'm writing a new version of the Bible? <laughs> yeah, it's in Acts chapter 6. Uh, <laughs> what version? ESV. No, I think what happened in my copying and pasting into my slide presentations, I messed up. Uh, yeah, read it out loud. In these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick up from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint for this day. And uh, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas brilliant I don't know if you you saw it there look for people full of wisdom I'm going to add them all in one full of wisdom full of faith full of the Holy Spirit. Look for those men who are full, that have a good reputation among you. You're a witness to the fullness of God at work in their life. Look for people who are full of the right stuff and appoint them so that the things that we call to do can be fulfilled. Fullness leads to fulfillment. And then we read, no sooner had they laid their hands on them, they began, the apostles got out preaching while the other guys manned these other bases out of their fullness, and the word of God multiplied, and a great number of priests or leaders in that community of the day came to faith. We see the advance of the gospel. We see ministry being fulfilled simply because they were taught to recognize who's full of God. I think we've got to go back to saying who are the best deacons, who are the best people, and being full of God is way easier than having to be the smartest, smarty in the box. Being full of God is something that is so easy because God is after us to fill us with Himself and wants us to have that. So many people are saying no to ministry assignments or to the fulfillment because they know they can't do it. So let me just help you. You can't do it. But God wants to fill us to be able to do the stuff. 
and that's from every area of ministry. Let me tell you, every leadership gift that you need to take the mission of Jesus forward through Seaburg is in this church right now. It just needs to be plugged into the fullness of God, and we need to find a fresh joy and a fresh commissioning grace in our lives that we start to say yes instead of look for all the excuses of why we bench ourselves and postpone the fulfillment of God's mission in the world. Love, am I doing it as you taught me these? Uh, yeah. Am I doing it? Okay. Guys, when I get a little bit passionate like this, you must know, my heart is so full of affection and joy, but I'm not backing off because the greatest gift you give to people you really love is the truth of the gospel. That's what we've got to do. And then we see this thing in Ephesians 3. I'm nervous of how that verse came up. <laughs> But let's just start at verse 17, So, that, and he's talking about uh, the riches of God's glory, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, then you, oh my hat, being rooted and grounded in love, will have power together with all the saints to comprehend the length and the width and the height and the depth of the love of Christ, and to know this love, you're going to read those underlined verses out with me, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Folk, it's almost blasphemous. Unless you understand the gospel. We were created in His image and then we were born again or recreated through new birth as we put our faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross to be indwelt by God. But you cannot get a little bit of God. God, you can't sort of cut some of God off. God is who he is. God is God. God offers the fullness of himself to us. Colossians tells us in him, Jesus, dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And then it says, and you are full in him. There's this reciprocal indwelling that is a bit of a miracle. Don't get stuck on the weeds on this. It's supposed to inspire us that about a new possibility of our communion and a fellowship with God that gets sweeter and sweeter into the future. My dear. Folks, here's the principle, whatever we're full of, we overflow with. Fullness leads to fulfillment. Whatever we're full of will overflow from the riverbed of our lives for good or for bad. If your life is full of resentment and disappointment and gossip and criticism and you take the bait on every issue and you haven't got personal peace in your heart, you can't let things go. We know none of you on this church, we're talking about that church down the road. Negative stuff like undealt with sinful habits and patterns where we just lived in the darkness and the shadows and we're longing for light. This is not who we call to be. We call to a freedom. When we're full of that grace and that freedom, we overflow with that. Faces of those who look to Him are radiant. There's like a radiance about people that are plugged in to God. But if our lives are full of this joy, grace, faith, wisdom, boldness, the stuff we read about in the Acts passage, my dear, we begin to pour it out. Our waters are not contaminated. They're not brackish. It's fresh, life-giving waters. Friends, we're never more fully alive when this kind of fullness of life is flowing 
through us. You know what also happens? Little five cents for free. You know what also happens? I want you to be, don't put your hand up, but I know so many people that are really nervous about sharing their faith. They're like a little embarrassed or feeling like the world is finished with God, the church, the cross, Jesus, every movie you watch, he's just blasphemed. You know, the world is finished with God. And so I don't want to be part of like, you know, the frowns and the disapproval and the groans about, oh, one of those again. Guys, let you into a secret. When, when we plugged into the life of God, our discipleship, following Jesus becomes not some burden and drag. It becomes so exciting. When, we, when we're following Jesus in the fullness of the Spirit, you know what happens? That discipleship kills secrecy in my life about being a Christian. But if we're not plugged in, secrecy kills the discipleship in my life. It takes us out of the game. You might scrape into heaven on the basis of what Jesus did on the cross, which is enough, but you will not have arrived there having lived a full life because you cannot have a full life unless the river of the good news of Jesus Christ is flowing through our lives with confidence and with boldness and with joy and also with wisdom. We're not a bunch of people that just irritate people. The 10th gift of the Spirit is not in the Bible, the gift of irritation. We are called to be a yes face in a no world, a grace face in a sad world. Okay, deepening our understanding on the fullness of God. I'm so glad you're up for this. Here's a cool question. Now, this is a question. What do you think about this? What is God full of? What is God full of? This is my own. I'm so excited about it because I saw it yesterday and I thought, oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes. You might not get excited as I am, but then you're entitled to be boring and colorless and all that. I'm on the front foot today, but you know what God is full of? Himself. He's the only person in the universe we can say, I'm so glad he's full of himself. And the revolution starts with if God wants to fill us, we're going to need to be empty of ourselves a little bit more, less preoccupied with ourselves, and we need to invite what God is full of to find expression in our lives and bring us into transformation. And we should encourage God to be full of Himself, but we don't really need to. Why? Because God is who He is by essence. God doesn't have a timeline of evolution. He is love. You can't cut love out of God, but God is also angry from time to time, and both of them work together. There's not like a smorgasbord, we'll have a little bit of this and a little bit of that. No, God is full of all His attributes. And the journey we need to go on is to discover, like Toza's book, The Knowledge of the Holy, and J.R. Packer's book on, uh, on, 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 the, on all those attributes on the quality of God, and Andrew Wilson's book on, uh, what's that one? No, 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 un, un, unsurpassable or something like that. It's unbelievable because... What we need is to get the oxygen mask 
of God's character over our heads, our lives, and we need to start to breathe it in. Okay, I know I'm not getting invited back, so I'll, I'll try and not be as silly as I've been up to now. And God, if, if, if God in your life is not seen as someone who's self-giving and, and, uh, and uh, communicating and warm and loving and kind, if, that's, if we don't see God like that, we'll never be like that. Folk, a lot of the reason why people are saying no to God is because they're saying no to the church because the face of Christ is supposed to be reflected through us to the world. Something's gone wrong, and we don't fix it by trying harder. We get renewed in the knowledge of our Creator, grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus. We don't bypass our minds or our hearts in this matter. So here's a little window, a few Psalms, verses from the Scriptures. In Psalm 36, 8 and 9, talks about the people of God. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. Psalm 46, 4, there is a river. The streams thereof make glad the city or the people of God. Joel 3.18 says, a fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley of Acacias. Revelation 22.1-2, the angel of the Lord showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. You know, one of the things I think God wants to speak into all of our hearts today, if I'm full of all of these things, why are we, you, us living from time to time with those scarcity mentalities? Why are we so afraid? Why do we need to protect every part of our life? Why do we need to be on control? I'm not talking, God's, listen, God's given us responsibility. Don't hear what I'm not saying. God's given us responsibility, but he has not given us control. There's too much uncertainty in this life, so we need to be plugged into a source of certainty. And that's what he's saying. In my river, it's an ever-flowing stream. I can't stop being who I am. I'm kind and I'm good. And I want to work through you. I want to fill you so that my mission in the world can be fulfilled and that your own heart can be fully satisfied. You know, just think about it. We, we worship God today. Here's a thought. Do you think God needs us to worship Him? Who gets the benefits of worship? Let me say this. God gets honored, and God finds pleasure in our worship. But God is not sitting as a, 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 a celestial uh, affirmation junkie waiting to get a download of the nice things we could sing about Him and say about Him today. You see, God knows who He is. And there's nothing we're saying today in our worship that'll make God be more, more than He is. But you know what happens? The life of the Holy Spirit flows when we start to align. What we're singing about is conviction with who God is in the heavens. There's a divine kiss in that. There's a supernatural experience, and we experience some of that today. Well done, band, and what's your name again? Leading us in that song at the end. And then, if you, if you, you've got to hear this, just to get a right picture of God. Remember, we're trying to understand God's fullness. The God who made the world and all things in it, Acts 17 from verse 24, 
since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. He met his people in those, but he doesn't dwell there. God dwells in unimaginable light, un unimaginable light. There's nothing small enough or big enough to contain who God is unless he chooses to reside there in his fullness. I mean, read the miracle in that, people. And then it says, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. You know what I love about the God we are trying to get to know a bit better? You know what I love about it? Is he's not needy. He needs zero. But he has to be faithful to his nature. And his nature is one of love and grace and goodness and kindness. And that's why he is an ever-flowing stream of that. And then if that were not enough, he goes on, as though he did not, since he himself gives to all people, believers and non-believers, gives to all people life and breadth and all things. If you're not yet a Christ, I just want to say to you, you need to thank God for everything that's come your way in his universe. It comes as an expression of his kindness, and that should draw us to him, not make us more self sufficient. I'm reading a book that ignited this flame of me by Daniel Hames and Michael Reeves. These are two theologians, and they, they're like devotional theologians. I mean, they hit your heart more than your, but they bring it together in the most profound way, and I'd like to recommend that book uh, if you would like one. Mark will buy everyone in the church a copy of their, okay, that was a bit rude. But listen to these words. He's contrasting this kind of God we're talking about. It's called God shines forth. Sorry, thanks for that. Helpful. God shines forth. Listen to this. The glorious goodness of God revealed in Jesus sets him apart from all other gods. His inmost being is a sun of light, life and warmth, always shining out, radiant and outgoing. Now, he's talking about the idols back of first century in Old Testament times, modern idols. They're all the same. Other gods, however, are always pits of grasping neediness. Can you see the danger in dialing into the idols of our culture? They always demand more. They just re required more. You've got to give more. They are grasping of pits of grasping neediness. Gods that cannot speak will need us to keep finding words. Gods that cannot carry us will need us to pick ourselves up. And gods that cannot freely love will need us to make ourselves more lovable. I can see the brokenness of what's happening in our culture. So many people with identity issues trying to become more lovable, more accepted. But God's not like that. He is totally other, unneedy, and totally giving to all people. Third part of the message. I'm whetting your appetite. Am I doing okay? Thank you to both of you who were encouraging me. I'm now going to preach the third one much longer.
Sometimes what's helpful is say, Rigby, I'll get it, I'll get it, I'll get it, but show us what it looks like. Well, thank you very much for asking that question. We're going to read from Ezekiel 47, from verse 1 to 12. This is a picture of the fullness of God overflowing into the world. I'll just give you a little bit more um, uh, framework for that, but let's, let's go for it. Um, then the man, the man is like a, uh, there's all kinds of controversy. Who's the man? Some people want to say it's Jesus, but D.A. Carson, a number of good commentators say it's a little bit of a forced conclusion. Is it an angel? Doesn't feel like angels are going to be doing what's happening here. So it's probably just somebody who's like a life coach, somebody in the mix, in the story, and there's this analogy between what's happening in the heavens and what's happening on earth, and they brought together in this most profound way. So there's this man. Then the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. Next, he brought me through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east. And there I saw the water trickling out from the south side. As the man went eastward with the measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and led me through ankle-deep water. Then he measured off a thousand cubits and led me through knee-deep water. And again, he measured a thousand cubits and led me through waist-deep water. Again, he measured a thousand cubits and led me through waist-deep water. Once again, he measured off a thousand cubits, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough for swimming. A river that could not be crossed on foot. Son of man, do you see this? He asked me. And then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived, I saw a great number of trees along both banks of the river. And he said to me, this water flows out to the eastern region and goes down to the Arabah. When it empties into the sea, the water there becomes fresh. Wherever the river flows, there will be swarms of living creatures and a great number of fish because it flows there and makes the waters fresh. So wherever the river flows, everything will flourish. Fishermen will stand by the shore from the Engedi to Engelayim, and they will spread their nets to catch the fish of many kinds like the fish of the great sea. But the swamps and the marsh marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Along both banks of the river, fruit trees of all kinds will grow, and their leaves will not wither, and their fruit will not fail. Each month they will bear fruit, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will be, for, will be used for food, and their leaves for healing. I mean, this is a stunning picture of heaven breaking into earth. And the life of God flowing down. And we're going to just look at some of this. And, uh, and just hold this in mind. You know, on the last day of the feast, Jesus said to the, a crowd gathered at Passover. We don't gather to the golden calf. We, we gather to the lamb. And he's about to go to the cross not long ahead. And he cries on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Actually, he says, if anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink, for out of his innermost being, rivers of living water will 
flow. So notice with me these dynamics. I'm going to whiz through them. I'm not going to take too long. Number one, the river flows from the throne of God. It's only as the church is aligned to the throne, to the purposes, to the kingdom plans that God has, the river flows to that. God's power flows to His purposes. God's power doesn't deviate, and we sometimes want to get the Holy Spirit to become a little personal tributary into something of what we want to do or accomplish, and God wants us to get back to understanding the throne is still very much in play just because the Holy Spirit is at work, where there's a king who has ushered forth this source of life to his people, which means if there's a throne, we call to live in agreement with God, to be aligned to him, to march to another drumbeat. When the church says yes to God, it is indirectly saying yes to a flow of the Holy Spirit in a very profound way. And so this is beyond therapeutics. We thank God for the work of the Holy Spirit to heal us up, muscle of us, us up. But this is about God wanting to align us up to the throne of God. Secondly, uh, that's why I had to explain who this man was. And be kind to me if it's a little bit of a stretch, but I see it, personally I see it. It takes others to help me live in the river of God. It's not just about me and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. There's this man. Let me say this to you. Fullness leading to fulfillment is a, is a community project. We need to be aligned to brothers and sisters who help us week in and week out. When we gather on Sundays, when we gather in our life groups, this is a way that together we can encourage each other in a life-giving way to accomplish the purposes of God. Also notice, Ezekiel is in the river, but he's ankle deep. And I think some of us have been ankle deep for just too long. And it takes some careful, nurturing, loving leadership just to provoke us a little and say, come on, man, there's more to this life. And if you're ankle deep, you're not going to get into the center stream of what God wants to do. Will the islands please return to the mainland, get into a life group, get into the flow of what God is doing in and through this local church. Don't be at the, at the margins. But for the right reason. It's not because we want to tick attendance registers. It's because we want God to be real and we want to grow and we want to flourish. And then, of course, it's from waist deep into eventually till he couldn't stand. And uh, guys, we don't need to go on a volunteer revolution to get the job done here. Everybody sign up, hear the job descriptions. I think sometimes it's good that we do that because we do need human capital. What we need more than anything is for people to realize that we were created for the fullness of God. And when that fullness of God is real, then we we pursue that fullness intentionally, and we just serve accidentally. We just say, yes, where can I count me in? I want to do this, obviously, wisely within the margins of your life. But sometimes our margins are just simply that, our margins. They're electric fences about our, around our personal preferences. And I think God wants to just get us a little more 
into the river, not into common ground programs. Common ground programs need to align to the throne, but while we're doing that, let's be filled with the Spirit. Thirdly, the river of God, where does it flow toward? Great question. The river of God flows toward the neediest and most lifeless situations. Where's that, Rigby? Well, in verse 8, it says the water flows toward the eastern region and then goes on to say it empties into, and the sea mentioned there's the Dead Sea. How many of you have ever been in the Dead Sea? I've been there, but I went there after I shaved in the morning. And the Dead Sea is just a dumping ground. It has no life. There's no fish. There's no plants. There's nothing. It is dead. And my face on that day was came alive. <laughs> it came alive. Came alive. And uh, I want to put it to you, what's the application of this, this life of God? Where does it flow toward? Does it flow toward just more blessing for me? Does it flow toward the improved standard of living? Does it flow? You see, the Dead Sea is the most needy place geographically, and it's a metaphor. We must have a heart for the brokenness of our world. The gospel starts with God gate-crashing history in the person of Jesus to the most broken little spot in the universe, planet Earth, where the fall is in full flourishing mode. People are angry. The Romans have occupied the Palestine, the people of God, and Jesus comes to that most dangerous place because the river flows there. Jesus is aligned to the throne, and He comes in the fullness of the Spirit, and He goes to the poor and the marginalized. Folk, that's why Klaus put his hand up at one time to be the CEO of Common Good. That's why we say yes to early childhood development. That's why we say yes to education that's why we say yes to employment. That's why we say no to a whole lot of things. We want to burn a mark on our generation. We want grace to flow in a strategic way, and we've said yes to that. That's why I said yes to being the chairman of the board at Bridges, where we acquired that campsite, and we are building a hundred-year island of hope. We are saying no to all the despair in the country because we're too busy. We don't have the luxury of despair because it's temporary. We're living off the fragrance of an empty tomb. Jesus was raised from the dead. And I'm happy to sow my life into an island of hope in the sea of despair. And I can face my limitations. I can tell God every day, Lord, I can't fix the world. But I'm going to give my life to one thing, and I'm going to pour it out because you're worthy. I'm going to keep sharing my faith with people. I'm not backing off. I was in Worcester on my way home from uh, Robertson. I stopped at that Shell garage with the Vida E, you know, fullness leads to fulfillment. <laughs> okay. Sue went to do the fullness part. I'm getting my tank filled and uh, talking to this young young colored guy, beautiful man who, who I just start to befriend, and he's, uh, you know, I see he's, he's happy, he's joyful. I said, gee, you're serving so well. You must be a Christian. He says, yes, sir. How did you know? I said, your face is shining. Faces of those who look to him are radiant. They are yes faces. I said, no, it's amazing. And he tells me he's been in drugs and gangsterism. He's got a job. I think it was about six months he's been working in his job. And we had this wonderful conversation. Eventually, Sue came and gate crashed, you know, caffeine smell and all that. But I said to him, you know what? This has been such a joy 
to just share your story with you. He turned and he said, sir, can I tell you something? I've been here for six months. No one has ever spoken to me about God. Silence is golden, but when it comes to being a Christian, it's yellow. Excuse the silly pun. We've got to share. We've got to, we've got to gossip out of fullness, not out of tick the box. Oh, I got saved by grace, but now I've got to, I've got to now pay it out in telling everybody. No, none of that. Just the fullness. The message is, is designed to flow very easily through our lives. And then, last point, six stunning descriptors of flourishing in that, in that last little passage. Wherever the river flows, we see it in verse 8, the water there becomes fresh. It transforms. It changes things. My friend Herod was changed by the power of plugging in to a new possibility in God. He lost absolutely everything. So he would say, if he were here today, he would say, friends, spare me no pity. I'm the richest man on the planet right now. And since he left, he's told me more stories of, hey, I popped into so-and-so, and and you can't believe that we had these conversations. I'm thinking, oh, man, this guy's got it. I'm going to be his disciple. He's got it. Secondly, it attracts and promotes a quality of life, a new quality of life. Swarms of living creature will live wherever the river flows, and then it goes on to say where the river flows, everything lives. Folk, think marriage. Think family, think relationships, think generosity, think the kind of person we're becoming. Verse 10, this river raises evangelism as a priority. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Engadim. There will be places of spreading of nets. The fish will be of many kinds like the fish of the great sea. Are you open to fish of many kinds coming into Seaburg? Are you Are you open to a multicultural, full orb, what Jesus did on the cross to reconcile Jew and Gentile and the full expense of that into one new man? Well, evangelism is a means to Jesus get the reward of his suffering in his forever family. It promotes fruitfulness. Uh, Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both sides of the river. It promotes strength and resilience. The leaves will not wither. And finally, it raises healing communities for the nations. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for the healing of the nations. What a kind, generous God. Have you noticed the river flows from the throne, from God? What does he get out of this? God gets the satisfaction of being who he is. God becomes God. And we receive the reward and the fullness of his generosity. Fullness leads to the fulfillment of his purposes. Right at the end of the book of, uh, of uh, Genesis, uh, Revelation, it's the final cry of the Holy Spirit. I'm thinking, why does God put this final prayer at the back of the Bible? It's almost like the Holy Spirit's inspired Old Testament, New Testament, you know, Gospels, Acts, all the epistles, and now this great revelation of Jesus is about to finish and, and, and the, the canon will be ultimately full. And then this final cry of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. 
Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. What an amazing invitation to whoever, whoever. I think it's the prayer of the bride and the church, and bride and Jesus, saying, come, come and have this water. Come and open your life to this water. Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask the band to come up. I want to lead us in a prayer. We're going to sing one song. Johnny, I hope I did okay there. Time-wise, I want to be invited back. Thanks. Would you stand with me? If there's anything I've said today that irritates you, please don't be irritated. Rather, just hang around for this prayer and be open to God. Put your receptacles up and say, Lord, I want you in a new way. I want your fullness in my life in a new way. I want my life. Reinhard Bonker's prayer, make my life a riverbed for your life, for your presence, for your fullness. See, dear ones, when God starts to fill us in this rich, deep, profound way, our insecurities burn off. Our past disappointments go. I need to compare. We break that demonic stronghold. Our sense of self-reliance, I can make life work. We're released from the tyranny of trying to have to make it all work. Anxiety goes. Folk, this is not just a distant dream. This possibility resides in the God we're talking about today. And I'd love us to pray, sing this next song as a prayer. I'm going to pray just one quick prayer, and then I'm going to get out of the way, and I'm going to say, won't you, as you sing this song, somewhere in this song, just raise your hands and say, Jesus, fill me freshly with your spirit. Like those guys in Ephesus, they were trying to do life, grind the wheels, and Paul comes and says, have you been full of the spirit? They said, we don't even know if there is a spirit. And that some of us live like that. We just don't know. We're not plugged in. Just fight. Jesus says the, Holy, uh, the Father will give the Holy Spirit to anyone who asks. Jesus said, come to me and drink and, and, and rivers of living water will flow. Father, I want to thank you for these amazing people. Thank we all so different. We're sons and daughters of the living God and we realize, Lord, that we, so, we spend so much time trying to get our lives fulfilled or our plans fulfilled and our, but Lord, it's fullness of God that leads to fulfillment in this life. I ask that you, the God of hope, would fill us in a fresh way today as we come before you, as we respond to you in Christ's name. Let's sing.
sing.